we pray with the worship team before they come out. And uh, just during those prayers and, and what I've been hearing uh, coming from our worship team this morning, there's just been a theme of freedom, getting freedom, and moving and taking territory. And uh, <clears throat> there's some irony in that because this is exactly the story that you'll find in Exodus when it comes to um, Israel's journey. You know, they spent some time in slavery and, you know, every one of us, we can feel like that we have been in bondage to something at some point in time. Um, it could be an employer that makes things difficult for us. It could be uh, a marriage. It could be a roommate situation. It could be a classmate um, or a principal. Maybe you're trying to have a child and you're meeting some discouragement with that. Whatever the case or the situation may be, at some point, uh, you have experienced what it's like to be a slave. Even a misperception uh, of what our relationship is with the Father can become slavery if it's based on performance at some point. But I believe, I'm not cliche, cliche or naive in believing this, but I really do feel like that the people who are sitting under this roof right now, you being joined, obviously, with the first service as well, all of us being one bride, <clears throat> that we are coming here because uh, I'm sure there's that like little reprieve point um, that the nation of Israel experienced after they had gotten out of Egypt, after they had crossed through the Red Sea and they had some time to collect themselves, <sighs> and take a deep breath, and they thought to themselves, well, we're free from this, so now what? And their objective was to follow the Lord, to, follow the Lord, to listen to what he had said, to move forward, because he had promised something for them, and they were to take it. It was actually being prepared for them from the very beginning, and all they had to do is to go in and take the territory. And so I feel like that is where we are. If our hearts are all turned in the same direction, we can travel somewhere this morning. Amen? If you came here looking for the Lord, that's what I came here for. And if you're here for any other reason, really the only thing I have to give you is some information that's printed on four pages of computer paper. But I hope that you came here for more than just that. Because in Proverbs... Chapter 25, verse 2, it says, It is the glory of the Lord to hide things, but it is the glory of kings to find them. And if we're here this morning, if we have showed up to find and seek what the Lord has hidden, I think what we'll find is that we are in the presence of a lot of kings and queens this morning. Amen? So let's move forward. Let's come together and take some territory. <clears throat> um, I really feel like that uh, building understanding, like understanding something is, and partnering with the Lord to understand things, is, is kind of like building a home. When you build a home, you have to have a secure foundation. And if the foundation is not secure, then neither is the living structure above it. And identity is one of those things that's kind of like a foundation. Our lives either advance or crumble based on what we believe to be true about ourselves. And so, uh, as we move forward, just some foundational things about our identity that we need to understand uh, as we begin going where the Lord wants us to go today. And uh, you can make a note of this. I'm not going to read uh, from this particular scripture. I do have 
several scriptures I want to mention. But just take a note, Isaiah 14. Isaiah chapter 14. You can research this um, in your time uh, after you leave here. But what you'll see here is an exchange, a conversation, an event that takes place far beyond even our origins. And it is a scenario where we see Lucifer being cast out of heaven and the reasons why. And God saw fit to delegate governmental portions of his kingdom to three individuals, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And Gabriel was over communications, Michael over warfare, and Lucifer over worship. Lucifer, out of those three, was not satisfied with his position, and he thought that he should be exalted over the Lord. And you can find some um, narrative in Isaiah 14 about him uh, being haughty and him getting kicked out. But even though he was kicked out of heaven, he still got a little bit of what he wanted. He wanted to rule over something, and so God gave him the earth. And sometimes, for, in order for us to figure out what we really want is the worst thing for us, is sometimes we just have to get it. And this is what happens. You find that Satan is God uh, over the world. And Paul actually speaks to that in 2 Corinthians 4. 4. It says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And so Satan being the ruler over the world is why we actually find it in its condition at the beginning of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And there's a Hebrew word, koshek. It's probably said with more spit. But that's the word they use in the scripture for darkness. And what it means is misery, destruction, death, Ignorance, sorrow, and wickedness. That's what this word means. This is what the world was when, because uh, Satan was its ruler and is. But God has a plan because he is a jealous God. It actually says that. In Deuteronomy 4.24 it says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He's not envious because envy is wanting something that you never had, which is why it's a sin. But jealousy is wanting something back that was once yours. And so there's probably a multitude of ways that the Lord could have came up with a strategy to take the world back, and it would have been with little to no effort. But instead, his plan was you and I. And what he did is, it says, the spirit hovered over the face of the deep. And it started to create. Only the Lord can create something prosperous out of something that was once wicked. And so he took some dust and made Adam, man. And then he created this little oasis called the Garden of Eden. And he put man in it. And then woman came along as well. And he gave them some very simple instructions. He says, I want you to take it back. 
So he commissioned you and I from the very beginning to take back territory that Satan owns. He had a solution from the very beginning and it was always you and I. You and I were the solution. And if you hit the pause button on that thought for just a minute, I think what you'll start to feel is the Holy Spirit taking some scales off of your eyes and and helping us realize just how distracted we've been from our original purpose. And it's not a a picket white fence. It's not a six-figure salary. It's not magna cum laude. It's not status or even performance. It's territory and us taking it. That was the original design. And that's what it still is today. Because there are still many areas that the enemy owns that aren't rightfully his and we can take it back. Amen? Amen. So, welcome to spiritual warfare. That's what it is. And so, the enemy, he's made a profession out of distracting us from what we're originally made to do. And so, in the garden, he had some conversations with Adam and Eve, and he introduced this concept, which is going to be on the screen. It's a Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word they use for sin, and it means to miss the mark. Because the Lord, he created a mark for us to hit, which was to take territory. And what Satan does is he uses sin, distraction, in order to keep us from hitting that mark. Because he knows that you and I were designed to take things from him. So he tries to get the upper hand by taking things from you first. His commission is in John 10.10 when it says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Really, Satan is a liar, so all he can do is make you, make it seem like he's taking things from you. Because the word actually says that every good and perfect gift is from above. And I don't really think that anyone can take anything from the Lord, can they? No. So Satan, he's become a professional at helping you realize or making you uh, come under the assumption that he's taking and killing and destroying things from you. But he wants to do that first before you can realize that you're actually designed to do that to him. Whew. This is how he does it. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So Satan's strategy for getting us to miss the mark is rooted in the way that he communicates to us. The way that he gets our minds to think in a certain way. And I'm going to mention some things here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. You can actually dig through Hope City's archives. uh, And another message that I did on strongholds where I go into really uh, deep context onto what these things are uh, and the concept of a stronghold. But I'm just going to hit these things just for the sake of where we're going. What you see here in verse 5, he says, We destroy arguments, lofty opinions, and we take every thought captive. So you can identify three things, arguments, lofty opinions, and thoughts. This is the strategy. These are 
how Satan tries to develop some doorways into your life and the way that he communicates to you. Arguments. Let's say that you are sitting on your couch, nice and comfortable, on the weekend, and all of a sudden from your manager you get a text message. Hey, we need to talk first thing Monday morning. What's going to start, what scenarios are going to start playing through your mind as you read that? You're going to have this scenario all played out in your mind. You're going to be thinking, oh, he probably wants to talk to me about this and this. And so then you're like a defense attorney. You start making up a defense, a justification of why he's wrong about those things and how you're justified. And then you start thinking further and you're like, well, he's my manager and he's just going to use his hierarchy to overrule me anyway. So I'm just going to get fired and I might as well feel good about it and I'm just going to punch him in the face. Right? So you walk into his office Monday morning. You're fired up, ready to go. He's like, oh, I just wanted to congratulate you on, right? You've got this crazy, messed up, worst case scenario, speculation, argument worked up in your mind. You're driving home. You get a text message from your parents. We need to talk when you get home. I mean, I'm before curfew. What's the dealio? Oh, they must have found out about right? Then you start building this case up in your mind. As spouses, this happens all the time. You get a text message from your husband or your wife. Hey, you didn't tell me that. That just leads nowhere good, right? You start developing this concept in your mind, this scenario. Okay, here's how I have to have this conversation. And then you have formulated four questions that they have not even asked you yet, and you've come up with four answers to those questions before you even make it home. And then what they want to talk to you about it has nothing to do with the scenario that you've played out in your mind. This is what Paul is talking about when he says arguments. This is a strategy from the enemy. It's not your own cognitive behavior. Lofty thoughts. <clears throat> Lofty opinions. These are thoughts that are rooted in hopelessness. You're just enjoying yourself. You're out with your friends. You're sitting at Texas Roadhouse. You're astounded by how cheap they can sell a sirloin for. <laughs> You're thinking... I could totally afford this. Last time I checked, I had $132 in my bank account. You pull up your app. Negative 3516. You would just have negative 16 cents, but the bank charged you that extra $35 because you went over. Right? And then you just spiral down. That's all it took is negative 35 bucks, and you're just in a spiral. I'm a terrible manager of money. I'm never going to get out of this pit. I'm a loser. All my other friends have great jobs. I can't even afford a sirloin from Texas Roadhouse. Right? And you just, your attitude is that you just throw your hands up and it's never going to get better. That's called hopelessness. So you have these lofty opinions, these lofty thoughts that are rooted in hopelessness and you feel like that you have no responsibility at all to move forward or no power at all to move forward. Every area of your life that is under hopelessness is rooted in a foundation of lies. So random thoughts. Here's where it gets tricky. 
Normally I ask people to raise their hands during this. This will be rhetorical, but you'll get a kick out of it. Because it'll be random thoughts that are totally against who you are. You'll be riding down the road. You're not depressed. Never been. Never been suicidal. All of a sudden you're riding down the road and you're like, I should just drive my car off the road into this tree. Just a random thought. And usually when I ask who has ever had that question, like at least 10% of the room will raise their hand. You could be sitting at the oil change place. You love babies. You're sitting in the waiting room. There's a mom with her whiny baby right over there. Normally it doesn't bother you. You're just looking down, looking at Instagram, and this thought pops into your mind. I should just go over there and punch that baby right in the mouth. (laughs) Right? Ridiculous thoughts. Ridiculous, absurd thoughts that you would never have. This is the nature of your enemy. To communicate with you in such a way that will get you to act and behave to miss the very mark that the Lord has created us for. This is his strategy. Your capacity for sin is synonymous with how much of your life Satan owns. Ephesians 4, 26-27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. There's a Greek word for here in here that they use uh, for the word opportunity, topos. It literally means a place. What this verse is saying is that when we sin, we give the enemy spiritual territory in our lives. If he can get us distracted, then he can get us to partner with him. Right on? Are we tracking, church? Yes. All right. <clears throat> so when Satan is using the strategy mentioned in 2 Corinthians, he's trying to come through some particular doorways to partner with you and me. And here's what the doorways are. Fear, hatred and bitterness, sexual sin, and dealings with the occult. This is just some answers I've formulated through research and through uh, some counseling experience over the years. <clears throat> And when you're partnering with the enemy in these particular areas, here is, he just starts coming in and planting all these seeds, and you'll reap the fruit of that. And here is what the fruit of that partnership looks like. If he's coming in through the doorway of fear to partner with you, your life will be full of worry, unbelief, a need for control, anxiety, isolation, apathy, drug or alcohol abuse. If he's partnering with you, Through hatred and bitterness, your life will be full of envy, gossip, slander, anger, and self-hatred or low self-worth. If he's partnering with you in sexual sin, your life will be full of adultery, pornography, fornication, lewdness, molestation, perversion, fantasy, or rape. And if you're partnering with him through the doorway of the occult, um, you'll be interested in astrology, Fortune-telling, tarot cards, seances, Ouija boards, manipulation, control, participation in covens, and casting curses and other witchcraft practices, which are all things that are far more common than you think that they are. No, I don't want to know what your sign is. And I do not want to hear your story about how you played with a Ouija board one time and nothing happened. You're going to be on your own to roll the dice on those things, but it's always going to land on 666 
hey -oh. That wasn't in my notes. <clears throat> so, things can look pretty bleak for us at some times, right? Our life can be full of these things. We can be partnered with the enemy. There's a lot of territory in our life that could be owned by him, and we have to deal with the frustration and the guilt and the shame of not living up to the very thing that we were created to do, but it's being done to us. But what I'm thankful for is the power that's in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of him, I can call out, I can renounce, and I can break agreement with any of these doorways or sins that are in my life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So <clears throat> we have a particular approach when it comes to fighting these battles. Because we are. We're in a spiritual battle against the enemy. Paul says that we do not fight the wars of this world with flesh. But there's a spiritual battle that's going on. And that spiritual battle can manifest itself in a lot of physical scenarios in your life. And the reason we can't get away from them is because we always try to come up with some natural response to it. And it just doesn't work. Usually it just makes it worse. But there are some things that we can do in the natural that will experience a supernatural uh, response. The word says that the natural comes first and then the supernatural, the spiritual, right? So Paul, talk, he alludes, he doesn't tell us what they are, but he alludes to some things in uh, 2 Corinthians 10. He says, for the weapons of our warfare. There's a little cliffhanger there because it's like, well, what are they? <clears throat> so I've got some here. It's actually, there's actually a really comprehensive list that you can go through the word and find. Uh, I've got three in particular right here, and you'll be getting something later that has a couple more uh, on it. But I just want to get our feet wet. I want to get some things in your hands where you can start fighting your, your battle spiritually and actually start seeing the work of the Lord evident in your life. <clears throat> so here are some of those things. Worship and praise. Prophetic declarations. Prayer and fasting. Here's where you can see those things work in the scriptures so that you can start applying them and see them work in your current situation. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 21 through 24. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. So picture this scenario. I will read this from Scripture, but here's the, the narrative of the prelude. <clears throat> Jehoshaphat who, he wasn't doing a great job at walking with the Lord during his time, but he, he kind of got, he course corrected when time started to get really rough. And so some of his advisors came and they said, hey man, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are three large people groups who are coming to take this land from us. And so they all got together 
And they got this strategy from the Lord. I'll tell you how they got it in just a minute. But they got this strategy from the Lord. And here was the strategy. Let's just make it real in our time. Let's just say that um, there was this people group, three large people groups, uh, these three neighborhoods around us, and they were coming, and they were going to take this property from us. And so we had all got together, and the Lord had given us this plan. And they said, I want you to take your worship team from Sunday morning, and I want you to put them out in front of your group of people. Get everybody ready for battle. Get all your pitchforks and your, your flames ready to fight. But put your worship team out front and have them singing. And <clears throat> imagine if we all marched together. These three neighborhoods were down in this valley. And we all got to the crest of the valley and we looked down. And everybody was already dead. This is exactly what happened in Jehoshaphat's time. They sent some people ahead of them who were praising the Lord. And as they were marching, they couldn't even see what was happening to the people yet. But they got to the edge of the hill where the valley where all these people were, and they were already dead. So while they were praising the Lord, God confused all of them, and they just killed each other. Isn't that interesting? How in your life, when you have situations that you are facing that seem totally immeasurable to your capabilities, that if you just position yourself to focus on the Lord and praise Him and worship Him, that He will fight for you. That's an amazing thing as you see it unfold. Praise and worship are instrumental weapons when it comes to warfare between you and the enemy. <clears throat> Prophetic declarations. What these do is they help us grab a hold of the promises of God that seem out of reach for us. Why don't you just think about um, Job's bleak narrative. This was a man who had everything taken away from him. Right? His health his family, his riches, his possessions. And even in the midst of that, you see God offering him a chance to grab onto something that seems so far out of reach. And it's in Job chapter 22, verse 28. It says, what you decide will be done. And light will shine on your ways. Declaring God's promises for our lives with our words creates in us the capacity to receive hope. When you're in situations that seem incredibly hopeless, when you can go through God's word and find some promises that he's making to you about that situation, even though the promise hasn't come yet, for you to be able to speak that out creates in you the ability to receive hope where you had none before. Does that make sense? Amen. Prophetic declarations. So uh, one night we're um, in student ministries on a Wednesday night. Um, as a leader, it's part of your responsibility to discern the atmosphere. And what I mean by that is like there's just something in your intuition that doesn't feel like it should in the room. And so you make adjustments to try to get, displace whatever that thing is. 
And so I'll use this word uh, dry, and it's very appropriate for where the, the scenario is going, but I just felt like it's very dry in the room. People's appetites were not as they should be when you're coming to a place to experience the love and the presence of the Lord. And so <clears throat> when I got up there, we started to pray. I said, let's just come together. Let's just unify and pray. And I spoke these words. I said, God, I know that your spirit wants to rain down on us. <laughs> and no sooner than those words had left my mouth, you hear on the roof this drip, drip. And then it starts to rain so hard and so loud that you can't even hear what I'm saying over the microphone. And you just knew that it was a response from the Lord, from our petition for him to come and be with us. So um, <clears throat> I kind of like to get a little crazy when I pray, especially if there's not a lot of us. I try to keep it toned down. Uh, in front of a large group of people, but if I'm like praying for someone to be broken off of them, I'll like, I'll start doing this right here while I'm praying. You know, they're peeking out of the corner of their eye like, what is this guy doing? <clears throat> but in terms of prophetic declarations, uh, in our household, um, people who come over to Brooke and I's house, like they always make comments about how peaceful it is. Uh, I'll send out a Google spreadsheet later. You can sign up for $25 an hour. You can come sit on our couch. And just experience the peace of the Lord, you know? I'm trying to get some new windows in my house, so come on. <clears throat> no, I'm kidding. But uh, there was a time semi-recently where I felt like that peace was being disruptive. It wasn't like uh, my family dynamic was in conflict. There was just something, you could just tell that something was trying to settle in over uh, our house to disrupt that sense of peace. And so Brooke is <clears throat> asleep. The boys are asleep. I, I don't know why I'm, I'm up, but I'm up. I'm at the kitchen table, and I'm reading these verses about peace because I'm going to make some prophetic declarations over my house because even though it didn't feel peaceful, I was going to make the promise that it would be, right? <clears throat> and so, you know, my blinds are closed in the kitchen. I'm looking around, and what I do is I do this right here with my hands. Like I'm digging up some dirt, right? This is what I do. And then I'll read a verse on peace, and then I make this motion right here. And then I cover it back up. Like I'm planting seeds of peace, right? I'm getting serious about this. I'm in my kitchen. I get up and walk into the living room. I'm doing it again. I'm making the motions. I'm reading the scripture. I'm planting the seeds. And it wasn't much longer after that that the, our house returned to the place of peaceful and gentleness that it is. A prophetic declaration is incredibly effective when it comes to waging warfare against the enemy. Prayer and fasting. So this is the prelude that I was talking about earlier. This is how Jehoshaphat received the strategy to put the worship team in front of the army. In 2 Chronicles 20, 2 through 4, it says, Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom and the other side of the Dead Sea. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in, Judea, in Judah to seek him. And you can go down to verse 14 in that same chapter, and it says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, 
son of Zechariah, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So they came together with some fasting. They removed as many distractions from their life as they possibly could so that they could focus in on what the Lord was saying to them, whether it be food or it could be anything in our time. Social media, food, time spent, X, Y, Z. You can fast and you can pray. And what that does is it, it zeroes you in and it opens up the lines of communication between you and the Lord. And he can tell you exactly what he wants you to do. And it's going to be totally tailored to the situation that you're facing. That is the benefit of prayer and fasting. And we, <clears throat> as a... Uh, one Wednesday, uh, early in my career here, we had advertised to put together this crazy, cool pool party, right? We were just trying to kick the summer off, right? And everyone had collected at our location. And when we got there, it was like thunder, lightning, rain, total dismay. So uh, Braxton was there. I said, Braxton, go get your guitar. So he gets this guitar out of the car. We pile inside of this residence. And I just gave some, you know, speech about, hey, this might seem um, ineffective to you. But we're going to pray for this rain to leave. Because I think that God is a joyous, playful God. And he doesn't take things like pool parties lightly. Especially when you've designed them where people can come uh, to be in the presence of the Lord in a safe place and still have a good time. And so we were inside, we sang some songs, we prayed. And then about 30 minutes later, I look on my phone at the radar. It's red. We're just covered in red. Like it should be, you know, twister at this point. But it's not. So we go outside. I snap this photo as we went outside. And it's clear. And there's two rainbows over the pool. Like, you can't make that up. You can Photoshop it, but I'm not that good. Prayer is an effective tool when it comes to battling your enemy. There's another picture that's going to pop up there. Several students and us went to the Dominican. This girl here, and I think this is her brother. You can't see it, but her leg is just straight out like this. She has this uh, hard cast, um, and her knee is swollen like a basketball with this gooey little incision on the side. So we have our translator with us. I said, what happened to this girl? Soccer accident, right? So the students are putting on this uh, vacation Bible school for the students at this, this orphanage, group home, whatever you, you want to call it. Um, and so Brent Bennett is with us, and I say, Brent, come over here. Let's pray for this girl. <clears throat> so we're, the translator's there, and we're laying hands and praying, and uh, we get done, and, you know, the, the event resolves. We leave, and we come back the next day, and this girl is with her brother here, and he's just, she's standing up just on a crutch. All the swelling had gone down. I mean, this thing was like huge. And the incision looked like that it was several weeks older than we, when we had seen it uh, the previous day. The enemy wants to take things from you. Your health, 
your relationships, your purpose, your dreams. But you were meant to take things from him, not the other way around. And uh, these guys are getting ready to pass out a handout here. Dion, why don't you come on up here, man? It looks like this. <clears throat> it's just a little something I took some time uh, and made, put together yesterday. It's called Battle Strategies at the top. It has um, three of the things that we talked about, worship and praise, prayer and fasting, declarations. <clears throat> I also added the fruit of the Spirit and strengthening yourself in the Lord because they are also um, strategies and weapons of warfare. And what you'll see under there is some questions. And so the, the reason that I want you to have this, I want you to take it home, don't leave it behind, is because you can sit down this week and you can comprehensively um, write down the battles that you're facing. Like the situations that are in your life right now that you feel like are crushing you, that you cannot get past things that you know are in your life because the enemy put them there to distract you. And you can use this to specifically ta tailor your strategy to overcome that battle. So it talks about worship and praise. What worship songs are, you, are moving your heart at this moment? It's as simple as making a playlist. You have to commit to it. When are you listening to it? When are you singing along to it? Are you listening to it and singing along to it when it seems like it's the hardest to do so? I don't know if maybe Sunday mornings is the only time that you actually listen to this kind of music. The reason that we get you to repeat things over and over again is because this time of the week might be the only time that you've actually spoken words out of your mouth that the, war, the Lord can actually work with. Prayer and fasting. It has some questions on there that you can answer, that you can tailor your approach. Some great things to fast from are negativity, worry, and complaining. Nothing will bring you down faster than those three things. Nothing ushers in hopelessness like those three things. <clears throat> have you taken time to write down your prayers? It's important. We wouldn't have the Bible if we didn't have scribes, people who wrote stuff down as history unfolded. Are you going to have something to pass down to your kids and your grandkids where you prayed prayers that were answered and now you can actually show them a recorded history of how the Lord came through and fought your battles for you? declarations. You don't have to be a scholar, a biblical scholar, to find scriptures that are catered to your scenario. You know what? If your life is full of anxiety, you can find scriptures on peace. You don't have to be super educated from front to cover. You know what you can do? Just pick up your phone and Google can be your friend. Scriptures on peace. It's not that hard. Find the scriptures that are catered specifically to the situations in your life and write them down. Say them every day. I can't tell you the amount of situations in my life. The ones that I've noticed noticeable change on are the ones that I actually read 
the plan that I had written out out loud every single day. And sometimes it would take a week, sometimes three months, sometimes six months, sometimes eight years. But in every scenario, it always changed. And the Lord always put me on top every time. Fruit of the Spirit. Which fruits of the Spirit do you need during this situation? If other people are involved, what do they need? Strengthen yourself in the Lord. That's really important about strengthening yourself in the Lord. What that means is that you reaffirm your identity, who God says that you are. Because we have to make our decisions. The way we make our decisions and the type of decisions that we make are based on our identity, who we think we are, how we see ourselves. You have to sit and take some time and open that line of communication and allow the Lord to tell you how he sees you. Otherwise, you won't know how to respond to the situations you're being confronted with. And if you do, it won't end very well. So here's an important thing. I used to think that you would take these weapons of warfare and that you would go straight to -to hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. And while you can do that, I never really figured out why it wasn't that effective. And what I realized, especially after reading Jehoshaphat's account, is that you're not developing a strategy to go up against the enemy. You're developing a strategy to where the Lord positions you on the battlefield in the perfect place so that you can watch him win the battle for you. That's what these things are for, to petition the Lord. You ever seen that movie, uh, I think it's Saving Private Ryan, where Tom Hanks is very bleak, he's looking around, everybody's dying, his whole platoon's getting blown up, he's losing. And then he has like this epiphany, and he runs over to the communications guy and picks up the phone, and he says, broken arrow. And then all of a sudden, all this hellfire comes down and blows everybody up, right? This is kind of a similar situation. You're calling up to the Lord using these weapons, and he comes and he fights on your behalf because the battle is always the Lord's. We always fight from a place of victory. We always fight from a place of breakthrough. We're not fighting towards victory. We're fighting from it. 